Hey everybody, welcome back to Selected Pros. Today's guest is Duncan Birmingham. He's a writer and filmmaker from LA. Uh, he's written and produced a bunch of TV shows, including Marin, starring Mark Marin on IFC and Blunt Talk. He's written some short films. He's directed some films, and they've appeared in Sundance and AFI and elsewhere. He's a really talented individual. You can find his fiction in Joyland, Volume 1 Brooklyn, Maudlin House, elsewhere. Uh, and his latest book, The Cult in My Garage, published by Maudlin House, uh, is a wild ride that I, I highly recommend. So talk to Duncan about that, about a whole bunch of things, uh, and I hope you enjoy it, as always. If you do enjoy it, please leave me a review on iTunes, because I guess, you know, that feeds the algorithm. Let's other people know that this podcast doesn't suck. And if you extra enjoy it, feel free to go on patreon.com slash selected pros and uh, sign up. For a dollar or three, you get early access interviews, Q&As, newsletters, etc. Lastly, go to Maudlin House's website, uh, link in bio, and purchase yourself a copy of The Cult in My Garage by Duncan Birmingham. And use the checkout code PROS10, PROS in all caps, PROS10, and get 10% off the book little thing we're doing. So enjoy. We were meant to chat so long ago, and then I... That's all right. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I had to get married a couple times, so... Yeah, awesome. uh, yeah but how's everything? You're in LA, right? I'm in LA. Yeah, where are you? Uh, Brooklyn. Oh, okay, great. Uh, yep, yep. Two sexy places. Yes, I'm Very in LA. Very sexy. And, um, yeah, it's not swelteringly hot out. It feels like fall, our, our little like two weeks of fall is going to roll in right around now, and uh, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty interested. I, so first of all, congrats on the cult in my garage. Oh, thanks. That's it's great. And I love I love Maudlin House where it's published. Um, they're they're uh, very cool. I feel very, uh, yeah, very fortunate to be there. It's like a, they put out one of my favorite books, which is Double Bird by uh, Bud Smith. And 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 cult has the same sort of vibe, you know, um, oh. Well, I, I think, yeah, uh, Double Bird might actually be how they got on my radar. And then I sent a story in and they put the story on the website, published a story on the website. And yeah, yeah. But uh, Double Bird is great. And obviously, I was super excited that Bud blurbed the book. Mm -hmm. um, uh, he's a great guy, wonderful writer. Mm -hmm. But I'm super interested in your career because, you know, seems like you started in Hollywood. You've you worked with Marin on uh, that that show, which I loved um but you also you also write fiction so it's kind of you i think you're the first kind of truly like film literature crossover i've interviewed uh so where did it all start uh no no other real skills so writing was always <laughs> the thing that uh i mean even in school writing was the only kind of extracurriculars i had i did the newspaper i did the lit mag bad athlete terrible at math not <laughs> You know, it was always going to be something in in writing, um, and I worked in newspapers a little bit out of college. You know, felt that industry kind of like I'm so old that I can say that, and people are like, "Wow, newspapers!" And I could feel that that industry, that the newspapers I was working at were literally like shuddering as I was working there, <laughs> um, and and always wrote screenplays too, and moved out here from Boston to LA with that that plan to try and work in TV or uh, or movies. So. Um, yeah, so I've always kind of done both, um, you know, and sometimes it feels great, like, hey, look at me, I'm doing all these things. But a lot of times it's like nothing's working out and I'm just spinning the wheel of what what uh, I'm going to work on next. Um, so, yeah, I've been publishing stories in, in lit mags for years. So during the pandemic, I was like, oh, I got to get I got to get something out like, in, in, into the world. Mm -hmm. That was the, that was the desire. What's the uh, what's the first screenplay you ever wrote? Do you remember what it was about? I, I do. I, I wrote, uh, yeah, I wrote it in school. I, I had just, uh, they had just started like a screenwriting class where I went to college. Uh, this, and it was about a guy who goes door to door. You think he's a, you think he's some kind of salesman, 
but he actually provides uh, euthanasia for people that want to die. Oh, but but he he always his his uh, his gimmick uh, is that he always grants your one last wish, no matter how crazy it is. And then he and then he euthanizes you. And then he euthanizes. <laughs> so I can't believe that it hasn't sold. Uh, yeah, seriously. No, it's it's yeah. It was kind of like I think it was like a little bit of a yeah dystopian rom com. Mm-hmm. Like a very friendly uh, Dr. Kevorkian, you know. Yeah, it was uh, really cool, Dr. Kevorkian. <laughs> um, and then when I moved out here, I had a, a script called Mama's Boy, and that was like the script that. Um, also didn't didn't sell, but that that was kind of the script that like I don't know got me a lot of meetings. I met with people. It felt like it was close for a while. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I had hidden the uh, the death doctor one by the time I moved out here, but but that definitely was the first one I had written. Nice. And so like, what's it like trying to like what? I, I guess a good question is, were you writing fiction at this point and um, some of the differences, like I always toy with the idea of writing a screenplay one day, but I'm just way more comfortable with, with fiction, but I, there's gotta be some key changes you need to make in your brain. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was writing fiction at that point. I mean, my plan was, I was like, I'm going to move out to LA. I'll sell a bunch of movies. Everyone will love me. And then I'll be working on this novel at the same time. So once I, I yeah, I, and I worked on a novel. I found an agent. I didn't sell the novel. It was like hugely uh, disappointing. Um, was it your first? Yeah, yeah, that was the first. It's probably so, for the best. You're not supposed to sell that first one. Yeah, yeah. I look back and I was like, I can see why this <laughs> didn't sell. Uh, if I if I liked it more, I would. I don't know. I'd put it out somehow now. But yeah, it's it's good. That's uh, that's buried. Um, I think. Um, yeah, sometimes it's just about what the idea is. I just feel like if I have an idea, it usually lends itself to either a movie or a prose. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I do feel like they are two very different skills. I mean, if you love dialogue, even if you're not great at structure, I feel like you can you may as well take a whack at script writing, meaning screenwriting or, or a TV pilot. I feel like for me, so much of it is, is good dialogue. Um, and it's that's a, not something everyone can do is, is get the character across in dialogue. So there are plenty of screenwriters that are that are great that are great at structure and other things. And uh, but for me, I feel like uh, dialogue's like the the big thing. You can, yeah, you know, get over kind of the um, uh, maybe your your weak spots if you're really good at dialogue. I think. And, and were you always pretty good at dialogue, or did you kind of have something you had to work on? Yeah, I mean, I'm saying that, like, I guess you're assuming I'm good at dialogue. I'm just saying that. I think I'm, you are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but the, like, uh, like, well, what, what, what did it take to get there? I, I would say it was good, but I like, I like dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, we, I just uh, worked on a, a movie. I, sh- I shot my first movie that I directed, very low budget, super, super low budget movie. And uh, there were moments where the actors were like, wow, this is like an eight page scene of dialogue. I've never done one of these before. <laughs> and I started to get a little nervous, like, oh, maybe there's a reason why you don't do eight page scenes. <laughs> Uh, of dialogue because uh, they're kind of tricky to shoot and could really fall off, uh, not work very well. Or, or you've just invented a new uh, method, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen movies that are, you know, my dinner with Andre, it's all like mostly in a restaurant, but that's <laughs> that's really mm-hmm. good dialogue. So mm-hmm. uh, also with low budget movies, at a certain point, you know, there's not much else to shoot besides dialogue. Um, that was a little bit of a tangent, but uh, I've always liked writing dialogue, so I don't know if I was always good at it, but I, I kind of always enjoyed that, and that feels like it gets me into the rhythm of the story, and then it feels like the, the dialogue kind of leads leads where the plot's going a, a little bit in terms of like where the, the conflict and the dialogue is. Mm-hmm. Um, that that kind of helps me m- move the plot forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like getting information across in dialogue, I think, is a, a skill, as opposed to just, I think, like when I had first started writing, every scene would be like, hey, man. <laughs> hey, man, how's it going? Pretty good. It's like, that's not, no, I mean, that might be how a conversation goes in real life, but it's certainly not entertaining. Yeah, the, the, I feel like those, there are those really great writers who like, you're reading the dialogue and it feels like totally naturalistic. Like, oh, I could, I can imagine hearing this at a coffee shop, but at the same time, they, they were able to get all this information in. You're like, oh, this, this seems naturalistic, but this is really well chiseled. Mm-hmm. the dialogue that's like moving the plot forward you're getting all this information 
uh, but it's like it, it's disguised as something that feels really like low key and, and conversational. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, something I want to talk to you about because it's I I found that on the internet, but like I I uh, I, I don't know. I, I could I, maybe it's like on your website or your Twitter, but I I found it on Wikipedia, which was the you know I, I really appreciate your dark humor, and then I and then I saw an entry about early on you wrote a, a an anthology called Pets Who Want to Kill Themselves. And, and with such a title, I have yeah. to ask you what that project was about. <laughs> uh, that project was uh, a, a minor cash grab, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's like one of those books that you would find. I mean, to call it a book is, is an insult to books. It's like one of those, <laughs> those little things, you, those novelties you find uh, at um, um, for Urban Outfitters. Ah. Uh, except that makes it sound like I made more money than I did because we Urban Outfitters didn't accept us. They found the book too distasteful, which is pretty crazy because they have some distasteful books. Mm -hmm. That was uh, uh, born out of an idea I had. Um, I had gotten a couple holiday cards that year. Uh, I think I'd gotten two with like dressed up pets mm -hmm. and the pets look so miserable. So I posted them on a Tumblr with the uh, Tumblr title, Pets Who Want to Kill Themselves. And then I kind of screen grabbed some different angry pets from online and kind of gave them little captions about wanting to, you know, kill their owners or. And then uh, themselves, usually. And then themselves. And it was really <laughs> great. It, it, like within three weeks, it was on the back, the New York Magazine Matrix um, as a thing. Like, uh. people really like the title. And I put up a, I put up something on the website, you know, requesting photographs. And I, I got photographs from all over the world. We were on the uh, front page of the New York Times, not a particularly flattering story. I was part of like the, the blog to book uh, trend. So mm -hmm. this, this woman who sent her dog Sadie in, which was this beautiful Cocker Spaniel that she would dress in like aerobics gear, was on the front page of the New York Times. And I was able to email her and I was like, I'm not going to tell you why, just go to the corner and get your New York Times. And then um, that was super exciting for her. Do I you remember a picture on the cover of the New York, uh, you know, Instead yeah. Of, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you, why did Sadie, what was Sadie's reason for wanting to offer herself? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember. I mean, I felt guilty because uh, so many of the owners like obviously love their pets and right. I mean, they know if they send the pictures in that I'm going to be kind of making fun of them a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm looking around for the book, but it's a little, it's a little trashy. I they they did. I really like the cover, and there are a lot of things I like about it. But I've got to say, I kind of went to the well a few too many times for like pee pee and poopy jokes. It's not it maybe should have used a pseudonym. Mm -hmm. Hey man, you got to appeal to the masses at some point, you know. Yeah. 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 Uh, although I don't know how. No, nobody asked me to do a sequel, so I don't know how much the masses <laughs> loved it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I came across that title and I was like, well, I can't not speak to Duncan about pets who want to kill themselves. So yeah, it, it was uh, your listeners, if your listeners were around in you know, 2009, it was it was a little bit of a thing. It was a hashtag. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the rounds. Nice. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's fascinating. If you've got any of those kicking around, please send them my way. And uh, yeah, I really, I really, I really appreciate that. I don't know, it just seems like you have fun writing a lot of times. Yeah, you know, there's like the tortured writer or the the busy writer or whatever. And I, I just feel like there's a lot of joy in your work, uh, which I always appreciate. Oh, thanks. I, I yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, semi-tortured maybe. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Try not. To I mean, we all are at least like have like a base level. Of yeah. Just horrible discomfort and dread. <laughs> but uh, so I really want to talk to you. I know you probably get tired of talking about it, but I'd love to talk about Marin. And... Um, never, never get tired of talking. About okay. It. Well, I mean, Maybe I would, but I don't think that many people are really asking. Uh, that was great. That was like a dream job. You st you um, wrote the pilot with him, right, of the show? I wrote, I wrote the pilot with him. I wrote, uh, well, it was the pilot presentation. Okay. It came about in a very unusual way, which is like, you know, you go around town, just kind of like the movie The Player, and you pitch your ideas, kind of like a, a salesman. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, usually if someone passes, a producer passes on, on an idea, they might have an idea for you. And 99 out of 100 times, their idea sucks. Mm -hmm. Not that they have bad ideas, but like the things they're offering me or throwing out to me at my level are usually not great. It's like a book or 
or something. It's just something that's like never going to get made. Uh, mm -hmm. So in this case, the producer was like, oh, we want to do a show with Mark Marin. We've been working with him. We haven't found like a, you know, a, the right writer that's click with him or I don't even remember what the reason was. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. I didn't even allow myself to get too excited because I figured like everyone would like to, you know, work with Mark Marin. So, mm -hmm. so I was really excited. We met and we got along and- uh, he Where'd was, you guys meet? We met at his house. We met at his house at the cat ranch. I was a little nervous. And then I remember on the, and we had a nice meeting, seemed to have a lot in common. Um, you know, he's like 10 years older, but I felt like our, our tastes were very similar. And since I was a fan, to me, the idea of like helping create a show that's about his life almost felt like, you know, fan fiction. Like it, it's, it's just such a, the, the idea for the show is just so already there. Like him as a guy living in his house on the mm -hmm. fringe of Hollywood, having more successful people over to his garage. And, you know, the plots either come from, you know, Sarah Silverman coming over to the house and maybe a plot spins off from there or like Pat Oswalt comes over and they just have a conversation and, and something thematic happens and then the mm -hmm. plot's more about him and his, in his regular life. But, but he's such a great character because he can just go out to, for coffee and there's conflict. So it was just really, really fun. Anyway, but I remember going there, <laughs> meeting with him and then the next day listening or maybe a few days later listening to the podcast and he talked about how he had some writer come over to talk about maybe doing a show and he was wearing his like Howlin' Wolf pajama pants. His dick was hanging out. And I was like, oh, I was like, what's this dick hanging out? I was like, I didn't see this dick hanging out. And I felt like I should email him. I was like, just to let you know, I, you know, I didn't see your dick hanging out. <laughs> um, but anyway, just, uh, you know, great sense of humor and so smart. And uh, yeah, we did this pilot presentation. Uh, the producer put up a, a very small amount of money and we shot that and then, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. They went and shopped it around and maybe six months later, I got a call. They, they sold it and we were going to do this, this show. So we started fresh uh, because, you know, the actors in the pilot presentation, we didn't have deals for, and it was, it was just like kind of a 20, 25 minute, I guess mm -hmm. it was almost a full pilot, but kind of started in the middle of the story. So we started fresh um, shot, uh, you know, near his house in Highland park. And, and it was just really great. It's great to work with someone who has so many real life stories and has this like, treasure trove of albums and podcasts and stuff that you can kind of pull from and and uh it was real it was a real treat yeah yeah it sounds that way i so it wasn't shot in his actual house i know that's probably a stupid question but i always felt like it was not at all because the, the pilot presentation was shot at his actual house okay at his actual house uh ed asner and 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 ken jong and all these different people and i thought i was so naive i thought we were going to be able to use his real cats because it was such a low budget pilot, but we had to put his real cats in his bedroom. And then we had to bring in like the movie cats. And there was like a cat wrangler who had like that kind of khaki safari shirt, like Steve Irwin. I think he was like the only person like really getting paid. So he, so he was there for two days just for this one shot where Mark feeds the cats. So it's time for the cats to do their big thing and come to the bowl. And they wouldn't even come to the bowl. He's like, there's too many cameras. It's like, aren't these movie cats? There's like two, there couldn't be less. This is like the smallest <laughs> crew in Hollywood. So uh, yeah, the, those movie cats really shit the bed. But uh, we ended up filming, because uh, it just would have been too disruptive at his real house, filming at another house about a mile away. So okay. sure it was very surreal for him to leave his house, drive down the hill in Highland Park to another house, mm -hmm. like his house. Mm. Uh, which might've just had maybe a little, little wider hallways, a little bigger, but uh, otherwise very similar. And as a, as a writer, what is it like from, I guess, a craft perspective or from a substance perspective, like writing a show that's about someone else's life? Like, did, is it hard to exert your control over the narrative sometimes or, or, or you know, what was that process like? Um, in in this case, it was it was great. Um, I mean, I guess I guess because I'm such a fan, and I just feel like you know he's such a smart guy. You listen to the podcast; he talks about music and books. They're, they're usually things I really like. Yeah. Like if I see a movie or I watch a movie on Netflix or something, I ask Mark about it. You know, it's usually something either he's seen or if he hasn't seen it, I'm like, you should watch it because I feel like he would like it. It just felt like we had had very similar taste. Um, and if he tells a story about something that happened to him that weekend, I just feel like it's usually so plumb with conflict. Mm -hmm. um, 
that it, it just feels like it makes a, you know, often makes a good episode. So, so he's the boss. So I'm not really exerting much control. I'm just kind of always giving my opinion and giving it, I try and give my opinion three times, uh, no matter what to, to mm-hmm. make sure I'm heard. Um, but you know, it was, it was really great. I pitched a lot of shows after that with, probably shouldn't say this, with comedians uh, that I have not sold or mm-hmm. maybe that old but haven't made it as a show. Uh, and I've, I've always enjoyed that hearing people's stories and, and trying to craft that into a narrative. But for him, it was, it was um, you know, the, the narrative's just already, already there in his personality and where he was in his life. And the show was kind of there for me to screw up, I guess. Yeah, I feel like it was like a decade stretch there where you had like the Jim Jeffrey show and and like and Louie and and uh, I don't know, Mark, you're right, though, Mark uh, Marin was refreshing because you, you are he's one of the few people who could like sit alone in a room and there would somehow be tension if yeah. <laughs> without another character yeah. even being involved, you know, and then and like I remember his early stand up albums. Uh, and he talked a lot about like his dad and his dad was like a phenomenal character in the show too. And he was outside on the, right. Am I remembering that correctly? It's oh, been a while, but he's like living outside in an RV or, yeah, you know, just, it's endless amounts of tension. Totally. His, you know, his dad, you know, his, his, his girlfriend and his love life. I mean, a lot of the stuff that we were putting in the show was spinning off from stuff that was happening in his life right then. So mm-hmm. I, I, that was, you know, I'm sure that was super challenging for him. Um, but yes, there was a, a uh, so many shows, and I, I think that's kind of petered out now and people want something else, but this idea of like a, a comedian's life as fodder for a show, I mean, that's that's been around since the beginning of TV. But at that point, it was, it's it's crazy to think this was so long ago. At that point, I, I feel like there was a feeling from some buyers like, oh, Marin, what is this? Just like Louis, but in LA, mm-hmm. which to me felt so crazy because it's, he's so different but right right i could i wouldn't really watch louis in a room alone i wouldn't feel the tension there i mean it's just kind of schlubby and quiet but mark's just like he's got this one joke from the uh, i forget it's like no tickets available i think is the album but he's just like i don't know if you remember but he's like you ever just wake up and you're you're just like fuck like <laughs> i was like i don't know why that was like one of the funny i'm like yes every all the time but he he could really bring that to life in a scene alone which i think a lot of other people couldn't uh yeah i don't think he got uh i mean he got plenty of credit but i don't think he got enough credit for what a good actor he was on that show mm-hmm. there was a review that emily Nussbaum and the new yorker who i really like did of glow and she was talking about how great Mark Marin was in the show and like, who knew how great he was? And then, you know, like in a parenthetical, she wrote something kind of like dismissive, like, I mean, yeah, he had that show Marin, but I'm talking about like real act, <laughs> something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but she kind yeah. of just the show Marin in a little bit where I was like, oh, geez, well, you know, it's pretty hard to play yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think you get the credit for it. But I'm, I'm just thinking about, we showed the, the pilot in New York at this festival and somebody, you know, raised their hand and asked a question and kind of like, was like, geez, isn't this just like Louis? Like you use the same font as Louis, like, you know, it's your name, just like Louis does his, like his name. And Mark, you know, just a, just a jerk, just trying to like, you know, cause some trouble. And Mark just eviscerated this guy <laughs> in the crowd. It was really... <laughs> That's great. And then you're, and then you're writing it. You're like, all right, this will be in the next, uh, this will be in the oh, next season. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's a really cool, uh, life experience. I mean, I, you know, what, something I want to talk to you about, cause a lot of these stories in, in the cult in my garage take place in LA. And, um, I always wonder, you know, it was always a big part of my, uh, in my wheelhouse of regret is like, uh, should I have, you know, a lot of people are like, what, I wonder if I moved out to LA and do you, uh, you seem to be one of the people who are like not jaded by it. And that it's really had a, that was a great decision that you made in your life. Um, do you uh, feel that way now? Uh, well, first of all, you're a young man. What do you, there should be no regrets in your life. What are you talking about? You're, I'm, I'm meeting you on zoom. You could, you could move out tomorrow. I mean, um, I suppose, but I, I probably point, won't. <laughs> now, I, I, I think it used to be the conventional wisdom was, yeah, you got to live in LA, you'd meet people and you want to have an LA number. I mean, especially since the pandemic, uh, who even, you know, who knows? I mean, That's you true. Live anywhere. Um, well, I would say two things. One is I, I am, <laughs> I actually am kind of jaded <laughs> and uh, uh, down in the dumps about uh, uh, how a lot of 
things have played out and like mm-hmm. only full of regrets and oh why didn't I do this or uh, oh, this you know I, I can even barely even pick up like the trade papers without seeing someone I want to strangle <laughs> but that said it's it's such a, a cliche that I, I I at least try and be a little more upbeat because it, it is you know when I hear other people other writers complaining in that way it's like oh god I, I don't mm-hmm. want to so at least I try and bury the, the anger and the rage uh, mm-hmm. deep. Yeah, um, I mean, we've all got it to some point. You know, there's a lot of people who like always complain about New York. And I'm like, well, you know, you, you know you're free to free to leave, I suppose. But and yes, I have had some great some great gigs, Marin being one of them. So mm-hmm. so uh, everything is 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 all is all good. Yeah, I'm really interested. Uh, do you, uh, maybe you know him from Twitter. You know, John Lindsay from Twitter. You wrote Body High. Uh, Funny, uh, I I uh, am reading Body High right now. I was really oh, okay. it, loving it, and I got I just got so crazy with work, and I just uh, and like I said, I just I just finished that project. Now I'm back into it, and uh, he seems like a super cool guy. That, that I love his his prose, and I think I listened to, to him on your episode, and he there were a couple things I really liked. He was talking about sentence structure. That I thought yeah was, yeah. I don't, I don't know him. I would love to to bump into him or meet him. No. Oh yeah, you guys should get together out there in LA. But I ask because there's a long. I, I I was trying to get this out of him, but I, you know, there's a long tradition of writing about LA and like the great LA novel and stuff. And I and I wonder if you have any, you know, favorite great LA novels, and if you kind of feel like, you know, what it's like either trying or being a part of that tradition, or if you're tr- it's something you're trying to like escape and kind of do your own thing. Uh, well, both. I, I, I guess I have dreams of like, yeah, being in that tradition, but like turning it on its head. So people are like, oh, the LA, this guy just reinvented the LA novel. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one reason why I'm, I'm, I'm very into his book and I'll, I'll probably finish it in the next couple of days. Um, but yeah, totally. I mean, moving out here, I, I think I was reading Day of the Locust uh, when I was on my road trip out here. And uh, I remember reading, um, uh, nonfiction wise I think Jerry Stahl's Permanent Midnight is such a great LA book and so that was really exciting uh when I got to he, he worked on Marin too so I was like oh I get to you know work with Jerry Stahl mm-hmm. um there's a book I just read a nonfiction book uh, uh Always Crashing in the Same Car by Matthew Spector and uh, it's nonfiction about him growing up in LA in the 70s and and feeling like a failure now and always kind of measuring himself up to his kind of these kind of fringe artistic heroes that were successful, but maybe not as successful as they could have been. Everyone from like Warren Zevon to like the director Frank Perry. It's it's such a great uh, LA book. Always mm. in the same car. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think what my favorite LA novels are, but I, f- I feel like there's one or two that are, you know, maybe a little more that are actually off the radar because Day of the Locust is so. Uh, Mm-hmm. I love Ask the Dust. Um, I like Mike Davis's nonfiction about LA, like City of Quartz. But but uh, and my old boss Jonathan Ames, who I worked on a show with, uh, he came out with a book last year that's his LA noir, A Man Named Doll, that I really love. And so he he's he kind of like went up to bat to try and do the you know the LA novel and the LA noir. Mm-hmm. That's a tough category to break into too. Yeah, and I, I the book is so good, and it's it's now it's a it's a series. It's gonna. Oh, be that's awesome! That's awesome. So, so that's really cool. And the detective, you know, character lives kind of in this neighborhood. We're, we're both on the east side, so 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 that's very fun. So yeah, I love I love LA books. Mm-hmm. I especially love LA uh, noir. And other than like the geography, like of an LA book, what do you think? Kind of the you know, what do you think the essence of an LA book is? There's, there's something about, uh, it's hard because the, the things that make the LA, uh, at least to me, that kind of pop out is like the LA book. You, you don't, you got to give them a twist or su- find some new way in, like, like in terms of like the, the subgenre of like the Hollywood novel. I don't think anyone wants to read another, as much as I love books like uh, The Player, I don't think anyone wants to read another book about uh, the industry and how uh, you know people are jaded in it. Like, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. The Crack Up's another great LA. I guess that's just an essay, but I love the uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald's Pat Hobby stories to me are really great about the jaded screenwriter. But uh, yeah, Hollywood itself as this like kind of uh, uh, you know evil place that taints you is uh, is is really 
played out. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think anything, you know, I don't want to read anything new like that, but I will still go back and read older novels that are in that vein, like what makes Sammy run. And and my novel that I, you know, didn't didn't sell was supposed to be, the idea was it was going to be LA was kind of a bad place, but it's really the, the screenwriter who was the main character was kind of like a bad guy. Mm-hmm. So that was that was my twist, although it didn't really go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, uh, but but uh, in terms of the LA novel, yeah, I just feel like um, it, it feels like there's there's the, the city is kind of a little bit of a mirage city. It's a deja vu city because it's a, a dream city because it's it's when you move here, it's so already out in the ether in terms of pop culture that you all, you feel like certain things are, are familiar and you've been there before even though you haven't. Um, I feel like there's a there's almost something noirish about LA that's kind of baked into the city, that would almost be baked into an LA narrative even if it wasn't a noir novel. Um, yeah, I don't know. Mm. There's, there's a lot there. I mean, it's such a big city uh, that I'm 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 giving you a very small perspective of just what I think the LA novel is. I I still think Day of the Locust probably is my my favorite. Okay, I've, you know what? I've, I only know it through novels. I've never been, which is kind of crazy, but. Uh... Yeah, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to come out one day and and see for myself. Someone you haven't mentioned uh, is, which I feel like everyone always mentions when talking about the LA novel is uh, Brett Easton Ellis. Oh, that's funny. I thought you were going to say Joan Didion, which oh, well, Joan Didion too. Yeah, but Joan Didion and Eve Babbitts too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you don't want to get me started on Brett Easton Ellis. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I'll tell you, I I I was never a a, a fan, and uh, I guess as a teen I was like you felt like you were either team David Foster Wallace or team Brett Easton Ellis a little bit yeah of course so because that's because but specifically he he was like blasting him post-mortem on Twitter and stuff right saying like what a fraud and blah 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 uh so that that didn't help a little bit but even when they were both when they were alive like I felt I don't know I just there was very there were a couple little it just felt like David Foster Wallace was more my speed right Ellis was like this other other entity and there was there was a little inner conflict where David Foster Wallace wrote a story that kind of tweaked Brett Easton Ellis on one of his collections a little bit mm-hmm. but, but anyway I so I came to him and you know I in a, a a very different way when he had a podcast I was like ah oh, that's interesting I wonder what what kind of what would Brett Easton Ellis be talking about in his podcast and I become obsessed with his podcast uh he uh does has a really interesting um just a really interesting take on movies. Now movies are are dying. Uh, his politics are uh, terrible to non-existent and I really don't enjoy that part of the show. Yeah, yeah, he's really, uh, I don't know if he's always been that way, but I was quite surprised that he- I like, I, I can barely believe it. And I, I wanna, I've, I've sent some angry tweets and I've deleted the podcast a couple of times and then I keep coming back to it. But anyway, but between his, um, when he has a great guest, like someone like, uh, you know, Walter Kern or, or Griffin Dunn or, or Lily Analik, uh, you know, a, a, a smart literary person, or I know Griffin Dunn's a film person, but it, it, there's really just nothing better. I just really love them. They kind of launch into like the old LA stories, mm-hmm. uh, what what the literary world was in the 80s and, and early 90s when kind of Brett was at his heights. Um, I think that's all really interesting. And then he um, serialized his new novel, The Shards, uh, on the podcast. And I listened to it. It just ended maybe two weeks ago. I listened to it through the past year. I found it absolutely riveting. So I guess now I've read. So since I listened to the podcast, I went back and I, I read Lesson Zero. And I was like, oh, now I know why he was so popular. This book is is great. And I listened mm-hmm. to his book of essays, which I didn't love as much, but I love parts of it. And I love Love, love, love the shards. I thought it was really great. So he's he's a really interesting LA character. Yeah, I don't know anything about the shards. So he, did he narrate? He narrated a novel on his podcast. He did, and the that's an uh, idea I'm going to steal. Maybe it's it works really well. I would highly recommend listening to it. It's um, you know, he he frames it as a very thinly veiled memoir novel. Okay. I won't get into where it goes from there. Uh, and it's about his high school experience in the 80s at his his private school, Buckley. Yeah, he uh, went to school with all sorts of like famous people, right? And and kind of uh, kids who got in, into a lot of trouble. In college. In oh, college, in college, okay. With, with Donna Tartt and maybe 
Jonathan Lethem at, at Bennington. Bennington, that's right. Yeah. A podcast out about that now that I heard is very interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, called Once Upon a Time at Bennington. I haven't listened to it, but okay. But his his LA, you know, his high school experience, you know, in real life feels very less than zero. So you're you're listening to this, you know, him doing this the story, and you're like, oh, there are all these seeds of less than zero in it. But but still, this is a, a, a memoir too. Mm. Um, yeah, super super interesting. Um, person who uh I actually sent the book to him um the call to my garage you sent yeah uh did you get yeah. anything back I didn't I didn't and it felt it felt even weird to send it to uh yeah well there's I, no harm that could come from that you know other than I, you know I usually I, I I think he's the only person I don't know that I sent the book to I, was, oh, I got his address I was like ah, maybe I'll just send it tell him I really enjoyed the podcast yeah yeah like, I, he probably remembers my name as like the asshole who like tweeted angry stuff at him like <laughs> drunkenly about his politics. And it was like, why is this? He's, he's still writing like an angry note uh, in, in his return to sender, you know, didn't appreciate the tweets, but yeah. Hey, that's brave. You know, just send it out. Only person I sent it to I, I, that I don't know was who didn't ask for it. Right. Right. Not sending it out blindly. Well, so how long, let's kind of get into the cult in my garage. So can you kind of tell me the backstory about this? It's a collection of short stories. You published it recently with uh, Maudlin House. How long were you working on these stories? Because some of them are like COVID adjacent, you know, like. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's 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 one non-essential workers that is kind of my my COVID story. Yeah. Um, you know, I would, I, a lot of these have been published in some form. All of them have, have been rewritten. Don't feel like you can just get on the internet and, and mm -hmm. uh, find these stories. But I think the oldest one, um, Everybody's Famous, I published in StoryCord, and that might have been like 2013. Okay. Uh, you know, rewrote that one extensively, but most have been uh, written in the last like three to four years. Okay. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I just tried to kind of put together a bunch of the stories that felt somewhat thematic. I, I feel like that's always kind of the... Um, interesting thing about story collections that I don't know if I uh, have really wrapped my brain around what what the best approach is. Sometimes I read a collection and it feels like too curated and they're like, you know, the, the world is too much of a, a bubble. Uh, and then other times when I read ones and the stories are all in different places and and then it just feels a little bit like a, a, a hodgepodge. So, so uh, most of these stories are kind of LA based uh, in, in the fringes of the LA world and then some like there's one story in New York but he's dating this woman who's an actress and it, it, it for that reason it, it kind of still felt like in this in this uh this world um mm -hmm. so yeah so I'd say you know the bulk of the story is the last four or five years um and tried to pick things out that felt like um you know people grappling with some kind of alienation. I, I, I tried to not make them, you know, a lot of them have a, a, just a little bit of magical realism in them, not all of them, because that's, mm -hmm. a, that's another thing to, in terms of like that, that kind of like, should the, the stories all feel thematically the same? If I read a, a book of stories and they all kind of have a little something in them that feels a, a, a little untethered that from reality, I don't find that as, as exciting as reading a, a, a book of stories. And like some stories are more reality based in some kind of get a little untethered and fantastical. I, I think that's kind of that's kind of cool. And so not to bring up David Foster Wallace twice on a podcast, but I remember loving that his book, The Girl with Curious Hair, uh, whenever that was in my in my 20s, partly because some of the stories were so reality based and then others kind of like, you know, really took off and either felt like they had this magical realism element, mm -hmm. this modern element. So well I have to say, you know, I had a <clears throat> I love David Foster Wallace and I had a I had a uh, friend from school and I, I was kind of sheepish about having enjoyed infinite jest I was like oh I'm one of those people and she was like we need to stop doing that like everyone needs to stop being embarrassed about loving David Foster Wallace he's phenomenal you know what I mean he was phenomenal and it's just I don't know he's he's gotten he's gotten his name has gotten kind of morphed and uh put in a different light post post death but uh I think he's great, you know, but yeah, there is I, this initial reaction to be like, I know David Foster Wallace. I'm not a David Foster Wallace guy, but, but uh, we just have to get over that. I think my last girlfriend read infinite jest and I kept being like, I'm not recommending this. 
because we would see a reading and be like, were you pushing this? I was like, no, I, in fact, I said, I was like, start with some short stories. I don't know where she got the idea to, well, I mean, she's a smart person. She got the idea from, it was not, it did not come from me. And mm -hmm. I felt like I almost had to over-explain that. Um, but I remember seeing him read at Boston Public Library. And it, I mean, it was just so, it was so long ago that for me, I remember being very struck by the reading, how many uh, young women were there. Cause at the time he was kind of felt like maybe he was like a little bit of like a literary heartthrob a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and he got up and he talked a lot about, you know, the, it was, it was, it was kind of this idea of he was taking the, you know, the, the gauntlet from all the misogynistic, you know, male, mailers, Ross, Bellows, he mm -hmm. just review of Updike's novel and kind of trashed it, I think in the New York. Is that is that where he I remember he has this quote about Updike where he says John Updike is a thesaurus with a penis. Which I thought was a great from that. Oh, that was a great literature too. But um yeah, so anyway, he was it was it's it's interesting just to see the trajectory of uh of his career. Yeah, yeah. No, I just think he's a very valid influence to have and I feel like there's it's really hard to not be influenced by him as like an American writer uh yeah do you have a i'm trying to think of like how about the title story like uh i because I, I guess i'm not i'm not i mean i'm not you're not like a maximalist writer right like wallace is a so i i i'm actually kind of surprised to hear that you kind of view him as an influence because your stuff is tight you know like uh concise and so the style is very different but yeah. i guess i guess you know, when you bring up like he's got these highly realistic stories, Wallace does, and then he's got uh, something more supernatural, like those are more rare from him, I suppose. Like uh, I'm thinking maybe like good old neon or something where it's, you know, it's like a ghost narrating the suicide, right. suicide of a driver or something. But so, yeah, you're I don't know. I mean, I, I just think he he has a few that are pretty tight. I guess maybe the, those are my favorites. And I and I do usually if someone's like, oh, I want to read some David Foster Wallace, I was like, I'd, I'd grab a couple short stories. Mm -hmm. first. I mean, there's a story in uh, I think it's in Girl with Curious Hair, signifying nothing about the the guy that moves out of his basement, and he after he has a memory of being um of his of his dad. I'm not giving anything away because I think it's in the first couple sentences. But his dad taking his penis out in front of him, mm -hmm. and I mean that is a such a tight story. It's probably like. I don't know, like, I think it's like in my memory, it's seven or eight pages. And I remember meeting this, this woman, I'm really dating myself now in a, in a David Foster Wallace uh, chat board. And <laughs> she, uh, I think she was a psychologist. And she told me she thought it was one of the most uh, best written stories about, um, I don't know, I, I don't remember the term she used, but about, uh, you know, uncovering traumatic memories that she had Right. But for me, that's a that's a very tight story where I was like, oh, he did not. It's not a maximalist story. He, he did not go kind of off the rails. Mm -hmm. sure, I, I, Infinite Jest might be might be better. A couple hundred pages short, shorter, maybe. Yeah, uh, I don't even mean maxil maximalism as like a bad thing. I mean, it's just a certain style that that is exactly how it sounds. But I, I yeah, I guess I'm not as familiar with his shorter stuff. So I totally believe you that he's got shorter stuff that is more concise. But but I definitely value concision and it seems like Mallory Smart and Maudlin House stories that I always read are kind of like in that same school of like really concise, really funny, really punchy short stories. And, and I felt like the cult in my garage certainly fell into that. Um, well, that's very nice. Uh, thanks for saying that. Um, yeah, I don't I, I, I not sure not sure what my style is, but I certainly mm -hmm. down to write these stories and try and make them uh I try and make them super, super tight. And maybe, mm -hmm. maybe that's because I have worked as a screenwriter for so long. And I'm usually, you know, most of my days usually writing scripts. Uh, people are busy. You know, if you're going to pick up the cult in my garage, uh, you know, I don't know. There might be other, there are probably some better books like, you know, Ulysses or something. You know, <laughs> yeah, better, you know, nothing like some Ulysses better, after a long day. Read, so I better, I better at least make it like tight and entertaining. And I try and go through them. And uh, maybe, maybe it's because I have been reading a lot of noir and defective detective fiction later mm -hmm. so um uh yeah sure I'm, I'm we've been talking about david foster wallace a lot but but you know most I'm, I'm reading a lot of chandler and tighter stuff too and 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 all of a sudden i'm like a guy a middle-aged guy who's like liking brett easton ellis so uh his stuff's pretty tight as, mm -hmm. as well. so yeah I, I try and keep it um i try and keep it uh yeah to the point mm -hmm. and what uh it's interesting because i've also been reading have you heard of charles williford by the way 
I have, uh, is he, who's his detective? Is his, uh, what's his name? Um, is he oh, devil in the blue dress? He's Miami blues. Uh, okay. Hoke Mosley. Yes. I I've only heard of him because I love the movie Miami blues and I've heard okay. of series and I, I like uh, Florida noir stuff too. Cause I lived in Florida. Mm -hmm. should, I, should I read him? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, well, it's just cause I've been like checking out his stuff and I, I'm kind of new to like, I don't even want to call it genre fiction because that's, but I'm new to plot heavy sort of crime stuff. I, I just read my first Grisham. Anyway, I'm really enjoying this stuff. And like, I'm always interested in people's, um, you know, you take workshop writing workshops around like the city and there's oftentimes I felt I've, I've probably been in six or seven of them. Now there's like in literary fiction, there's a very, heavy like anti-plot stance sometimes you know sort of it's about the aesthetics and the plotlessness but I love plot and and I value it and then like now that I'm reading these crime novels and stuff and you are too I'm like dude you got to make stuff entertaining I, I, I on some level and so I was wondering what you you know I, I think plot's hard for a lot of people and sometimes I think it's a cop-out to be like I don't care about plot um and you do, I think, and you enjoy it and you're reading these crime novels. So like, what is your kind of your plotting method and kind of how do you feel about, you know, literary stuff versus kind of plot heavy fiction? Well, that's so interesting you brought that up because I've been thinking about that a lot. Uh, that, yeah, that in uh, writing workshops, you know, you're not, you're not busting out the Chandler or the John D. McDonald or, uh, or the Grissom or, or anything. And I, I kind of wish you were. And as I get uh, older, I do start reading more. I have started reading a lot more uh, genre fiction as well. I've been reading more crime fiction. I've been going back and like I used to read Stephen King as a, a, a King as a kid. Now I'm like going back to Stephen King. I'm like, oh, he's, 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 so many great books. I know. Um, I, I, uh, I I mentioned Jonathan Ames, who I worked with on a show, and you know Jonathan is someone, and I'm just saying things that he's said on podcasts and in interviews. You know, he's someone who wrote used to write a lot more about his kind of wild life, and now he's he's so interested in noir, and he writes these great noir books. And uh, when I ask him what he's reading, it's you know usually uh, genre, um, and and I I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of the the, the same way too because uh, the movie I just worked on was a horror movie. Now I'm reading all this this horror stuff. So to answer your question, uh, I am <laughs> I am pro plot. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I find myself less and less uh, uh, drawn to something, um, even if, if I hear the writing's fantastic. I really want to be, uh, you know, I I, I really want to feel like the main character, if if it's fiction, is going to be really, you know, the screws are going to be put to that person, and they're going to be put through hell, and there's going mm -hmm. to be to be some kind of plot now if, if, if it sounds really minimalist but i hear it's just amazing then mm -hmm. you, i want to read it because i want to know how it works i'm like all right how do they pull this off but um i i i do feel like i you know i i this sounds like a real old person uh i want a good yarn yeah you know? yeah so uh i know i'm trying to think of this this stuff in the in the, in the pandemic i started reading like uh on jonathan ames's recommendation i started reading john d mcdonald Okay. I've never, I've never read him. I don't even know if I've heard of him before. So he, he has these great, uh, the, I think they're the Travis McGee novels. So check out the first one. I've just, I think I've read two, but the first one, uh, the deep blue goodbye, they, they okay. keep talking, making it into a movie. They, they made it, they made it into one movie in 1970. That's really hard to find called darker than Amber. But for a while, Leonardo DiCaprio was talking about, you know, uh, making a, a movie version, but it is just great. It is, it is tight. The narrator, uh, I mean, he's, he's very troubled and, uh, has a very strange view of women and, and, uh, you know, it's dated in many ways, but, but man, what a, uh, I, it is a page turner. Yeah. Uh, I've always loved Elmore Leonard, who, um, you know, is this crime writer, but his, his plots are almost like existential. He just kind of introduces these tough guy characters and they bump off each other in interesting ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I, I think, you know, uh, just not to keep going and going, but, but someone like, I, I know you've had a Tessa Mosfe on the podcast and I love her stuff, but, but Eileen to me is kind of my favorite because it's like this this bizarre, almost noir hybrid, uh, this character study, like buried in this kind of crazy noir hybrid that I think is really interesting. So when I heard she had read some uh, uh, some uh, 
kind of basic seeming novel plotting book. Yeah, yeah. That's where I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And and I just I, I just kind of enjoyed that that book more and, and partly because the you know the 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 it does have a, a couple great plot turns that really work. It really does. I'm a huge Eileen fan and uh I the book she references is called 90 Day Novel. I started using it myself and it's it is kind of it's it's like a little bit hokey, but boy does it like you know it, it shows you the way uh in terms of plotting so i'd recommend it if you're trying to work on something longer but but uh, i actually met her yesterday um in person in person which was really cool she came to my school to speak and uh just a just a brilliant human obviously but uh Uh, seems seems like it i would love to meet her she's so she's just very i i do like that she's kind of categorized as like a more literary writer but focuses on like as you would say like spinning a good yarn and uh it's very unpretentious individual so yeah i don't know i think i don't know i'm glad that i just feel stuff is be at least or i'm surrounding myself with people who are more interested in like merging the little literary with like the entertaining which i just think is is great for fiction because we're competing with like netflix you know it's not like <laughs> it's not like you know i don't that's that's the competition now so um are you are you working on something longer um, well, I'll, I'll tell you that the a big project uh, has been the, this movie, this indie movie. So I kind of took and it's a break. horror. Sorry, it's horror. You said right? It's it's horror. It's it's kind of a, a, a it's a it's a lot of dramedy, but it is okay. a, it's a horror movie. It is a horror movie. It's a very talky horror movie. What are you able to give us? Uh, what's it about? Uh, I can give you. I can I can give you the uh, the, the 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 basic idea, which is it's a, a couple throws a, a housewarming party. And uh, the, the husband's a little more excited about showing off the house and the wife. And as the party's kind of winding down, the guests are leaving. He's doing a play-by-play. I think the party went well. They go well. He's like, "You're, you're uh, those guests you invited were a little weird. They were talking during my speech." She was like, "What guests?" He's like, "You know that couple dressed in sexy black, and they were they were kind of a little younger." A little bit. And she's like, "I didn't invite them." And he's like, "Well, I didn't invite them." And they're wondering, "Hold it, who invited this guest?" They hear a toilet flush, and they realize these two people are still in the house. And anyway, they, they, they meet this couple, this kind of mysterious couple who introduce themselves as the very wealthy neighbors and they kind of crash the party. They apologize and they suggest they have a nightcap and they have a nightcap together. Then one nightcap leads to another nightcap. And you start to wonder, are these uh, people, this other couple, are they really the neighbors or are they uh, duplicitous strangers that might be tied to the bloody history of the house? Wow. Um, That sounds fantastic. All right. Well, I hope, I hope so. It was, it was definitely the uh, craziest thing I've ever done. The hardest thing I've ever done was, uh, you know, put this movie together, had a great producer, had a great cast. Uh, It was a real whirlwind. We shot it in 12 days and now we are editing it. And so you wrote it? I wrote it. Is this this your first foray into, into writing horror? Uh, there's one other script I had written um, maybe six months before called Exterminator. Okay. Uh, I shot a short and then I wrote a script. Uh, but uh, but this this one I thought was a well, it, it just it came together and uh, this I, I think uh, we were able to find funding for it and people I think really responded to that log line and um, yeah, it's a little yeah, more that... than the other script. So I'd say it's my second foray into horror and now I can't I can't get enough can't get enough horror. Yes, I know. So first thing is you have a story, I believe, I, I remember, called The Exterminator and Cult in My Garage. What right. is, it started what is, as a story, then I made a short, and then I wrote a screenplay. I had fascinating. done that before, but that's how that one worked out. Cool. That's cool to see. That's a nice evolution. It's great that you have all the skills, too, so you can, like, pump out a short story, and you're like, I could see this as a film, so you just write it as a film, and then you, you make it, and you. it's a great, you know, uh, you can really flesh it out in all the possible mediums. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I, I, I would love that if I could actually make money doing that. Thing <laughs> people love it, and yeah, that's that's the idea. It hasn't quite come together the way I would like, but you know, we got funding for the movie, so that was a big thing. That's Super awesome. Fun. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Um, what is we're we're a couple days or like a week away from Halloween. Yeah, I want to talk. I love horror films, uh, and I want to start reading more horror fiction i've read a few like yeah you know, i've had this br yeager on the podcast and david leo rice so i've read i've read some like horror fiction and you know stephen king back in the day but it's that time of year um you got any tips for spinning a frightening yarn and also who are other than like 
King, you got any horror writers you'd recommend? Well, I, I mean, I've always loved horror movies, but mm -hmm. I kind of took a break from horror fiction uh, and I'm just getting kind of back into it. But I did just read, well, first of all, I love, I had never read Stephen King's On Writing and I just read that and uh, listened to it on an audiobook, and that was so great. And now I loved it so much, I'm going back. He's got another uh, nonfiction book, I'll probably, uh, Dance Macabre that is all about the world of horror. It was, it was written in 1980. Oh, okay. It, Perfect it timing of, for him though. That's yeah, a great- yeah. I think he wrote it after his first five novels. So I was like, wow, this guy, he was already on top of the world. Yeah. So it, it covers, I'm just starting it, but it covers film and fiction and, and kind of just horror as a genre. And um, so I just started that. I love that. I highly recommend Richard Lang, who's an LA writer, his novel Rovers. Um, I think Stephen King uh, just tweeted about it. It's a vampire novel and it, it just is awesome. And mm -hmm. it'll probably be made into a mini series any day now. It's kind of reminds me of the Catherine Bigelow vampire movie After Dark a little bit. It's about, you know, this, this, this gang of like roving uh, vampires. Um, it's, it's, you will love it. It is mm -hmm. a juice. It, it is a, just hits the target on all levels as a great genre book. Um, oh, that's excellent. And uh, I really like uh, the author who did, they just made it into a show, Brand New Cherry Flavor. Um, I'll have to look up his name. I think it's Todd Grism. He only has two books, mm. or at least that I know of. And his stuff is really great. And he's, he's an LA writer too. It's just this really nihilistic, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting how to say his last name. Anyway, uh. Brand New Cherry Flavor was a great book. I haven't watched the show yet. But um, that one is definitely horrific and shocking mm -hmm. and really scary. Um, is it also, is it vampire based? It is kind of, it's, there's some voodoo. I don't know. If okay. It, yeah. it definitely has a supernatural element, um, but it's, it's yeah, I, I definitely dug that a lot. Um, uh, yeah, I think those, those, are the, those are the ones that I was, I was kind of liking. And I mean, uh, that, that, Brett Easton Ellis um, narrated book that he did uh, kind of uh, flirts with horror a little bit. Mm, mm. The way he does, you know, I like anything with, uh, I love serial killers and I love home invasions. Home, um, <laughs> home invasion element to it. I'm just going to um, quote, I'm just going to quote, that'll be like the quote for the episode. I love serial killers and home invasions. Duncan Birmingham. Well, those are the two types of horror that like, yeah. you know, it's like real stuff. I, you know, I grew up Catholic, so I love, uh, you know, exorcist stuff. Oh, too. of course. It's just watched hard, the hard hit. Just had a big horror weekend. We just watched The Conjuring, The Conjuring 2. We watched Hereditary, which is, I, is somewhat, uh, I guess, possession. No, that's more cultish, but uh, it's hard. To, it's hard to put it in a box, actually. But yeah, I mean, uh, to, uh, I thought Hereditary was just absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it was devastating. Yeah. Yeah, Ari Aster's really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, movies like, you know, like Funny Games. Uh, oh, I guess you didn't ask about movies, but I'll just tell you, Funny yeah, Games. Of Temptation, um, those, those are the movies that really uh, freak me out. I think those are two of my favorites. Have you seen, uh, did you watch the series yet on Netflix called Midnight Mass? I started by, it. I by really Mike like, Flanagan? Yeah, I like the first one and I'm definitely going to watch the rest. Mm, yeah. Cool. Yeah, did you like it? Yeah, I did. But it, it's not for everyone. So uh, it's just kind of strange. But anyway, it just sounds like it's been a great year for you, man. Congrats on the book, The Cult in My Garage. Uh, I loved it. And I, I definitely recommend it to everybody. And as you said, it's, it's uh, you know, everyone's so busy now. You can definitely be busy and read this book. Exactly. It's not a, it's not a thick book. It's not the thinnest book. I went to Skylight Books as my local bookstore and I was okay. like, it looks so thin, but then I was like, hold it. Here's a couple other thin ones. Let me place these books next to my book, make it look a little more substantial. Comes yeah. in at 155 pages, you know, and it's got everything in it. And exactly. uh, there's no fluff. There's no fluff in there. I, I agree. I completely agree. That's what I loved about it. That's why, you know, not that I don't, who the hell am I to say that David Foster Wallace has some fluff, but I was just, that's why oh, I was it, surprised. I was just kicking back. I was like, yeah, yeah no, infinite jest, maybe cut 400 pages. <laughs> what am I talking about? I don't know about the ending. Get rid of the tennis stuff, you know, whatever. Exactly. Uh, but I yeah. I could have dropped the map. And people always ask, they're like, did you read the footnotes? I mean, it was a different time in my life. I was in my 20s. I had more time. Mm -hmm. I did like the footnotes. I, the math stuff, 
was the right what i could have done without that was in the tradition of like pinchin and who was like a weird psycho genius who was probably in the cia and and like delillo those guys are always putting math equations and i'm like you don't have to do that david come on i don't know we're all terrible at math you know but i guess he was actually really good at it right didn't he go to like school for math like masters or phd or something i don't remember but i believe so yeah yeah for us that suck at math including me it's uh just breeze past it yeah yeah i don't need that i don't need someone lording that over me and, yeah. And yeah. jesus yeah, show you, off that guy you that smart stuff in my book <laughs> so that's that should be the blurb yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, it's great. It seems like it's an awesome year for you. And I'm so glad we could finally like sit down and talk. I, <clears throat> it's been so long since we've been trying to make this happen. But yeah, no, thanks for having me. You have such wonderful guests. So it's, it's nice to be in. Uh, I feel honored to be in such great company. Oh, of course, man. And uh, good luck on the movie. So uh, do you have a, do you have a title for the new movie yet? Sure. The movie is called Who Invited Them? Who Invited Them? Okay. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. We're trying to get it into festivals now. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know through email or tweets what's going on with it. Keep your fingers crossed. I hope I hope people like it. Please and, do. Uh, and and are you know. still are you still working on fiction? Or are you just busy as hell with the movie? I'm still working on fiction, trying to work on something a little, a little longer, uh, something in, in that, in that novel range, but yeah, uh, yeah. too far into it. I've not gotten too far into it, but hope, hopefully we'll be able to soon. Well, I hope so too. Definitely excited for it. Keep me posted. I'll be looking out for more of your fiction online and stuff. And you know, when that movie's ready, let me know. The plot sounds fascinating. So well, uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. yeah. That um cool man well yeah great to meet you this was a real treat for me. yeah for me as well so thanks so much for coming on i appreciate the time and uh you know we'll chat soon awesome all right duncan thanks a lot man